Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Maryam Rostenpour and Marzia Amirzadeh knew they were putting their lives on the line. Islamic law in Iran forbids the sharing uh, of their Christian beliefs, but in three years they had covertly put New Testaments into the hands of 20,000 of their countrymen and started two secret house churches. They were caught in 2009, arrested, imprisoned, sentenced to death, and they share their story in a book uh, called Captive in Iran. It's a true story of the well, what they went through, and really the triumph of God's Spirit. Uh, Mariam, Marzia, good to have you with me. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you so much. I will let uh, you, when I ask the question, since there are two here, I will let you decide who answers it, okay? And I guess the first question is, uh, how did you become uh, believers in Jesus? I became um, Christian Many years ago, as a young adult, um, I was around 17 uh, when I first um, heard about Christianity. Um, I can say for all my life, I was searching for the truth, and I was um, doing research. I was trying to find the truth and find a way to communicate with God, but the only thing that I had access to was um, Islamic rules, and um, from very young age at the schools, we had to follow those Islamic rules. We didn't have access to any other religion or mm-hmm. any other books of other religions. What was your yeah. prayer life like as a Muslim? As a Muslim, I, yeah. we, had to follow, we had to pray namaz. Um, as you know, uh, namaz is in Arabic. Our language in Iran is Farsi. Huh. Um, but we were forced to uh, pray namaz um, in Arabic and even in the schools. Okay. Um, in um, public gatherings, we had to stand in lines, pray namaz uh, with other students in Arabic. And that was the only way that we could communicate with God. Since, you know, we didn't know Arabic, we didn't know what we were saying. That's why it, was, um, it wasn't like communicating with God. That was uh, one of the problems I had. Yeah. Um, I couldn't communicate with God, and I wanted to find a way to talk to Him. That's why after doing many researches and, um, you know, after years of trying to follow Islamic rules, but... Um, you know, not receiving anything from following those rules. I decided to just live alone uh, all those religious rules and not practice any religion. I just, um, you know, I would talk to God in my own language, Farsi, for hours sometimes wow. before going to bed. I was just, uh, I would look, at, look up into the sky and just talk to God, um, the God that I didn't know, in my own language, Farsi, and I would ask Him to reveal the truth to, to me. That's why I believe, you know, because I had this hunger and thirst in my heart to find the truth, he revealed uh, the truth about himself to me. And one day when I was um, home alone, uh, my sister came home. She had a little booklet in her hand. The title of book, that booklet was, um, his name is Wonderful. That was part of Book of Luke. And, um, you know, somebody in the street gave that little booklet to my sister. And it was after reading that booklet that I ex- experienced the presence of God. Um, you know, I, it's, we don't have much time to share all the details, but when I was uh, reading that book, I could feel the presence of God. Jesus spoke to my heart through mm-hmm. those words in that booklet, and that's how I gave my heart to Jesus. Very good. And uh, uh, Marzia, how about you? Uh, I had the same challenges um, like Mariam because I grew up in Iran, which is an Islamic country, and 
as Mariam shared, we don't have access to other religious books, um, only Islamic books. And, um, you know, as Mariam mentioned, uh, from our childhood in, in school, they forced us to follow the Islamic rules, pray namaz in the school. And that's why I, I had a lot of questions uh, about Islam, why I have to speak uh, to my God in Arabic instead of my native language, Farsi. Mm -hmm. Why should I cover myself when I pray uh, to my God? And um, why, you know, I have to bend in front of a God who created me, who loved me. So I had all these questions uh, from um, in a very young age, and I would keep asking those questions at school. But my theology um, professors always uh, would tell me that you should stop asking questions. You should just follow these Islamic rules if mm -hmm. you want to have relationship with God. And that's why I was so desperate, and I really wanted to know my God, to have a relationship with Him. That's why I started... Uh, practicing the Islamic rules, reading Quran, and, uh, because I was thinking maybe by doing these, by following these Islamic rules, maybe I can, you know, have a relationship with God to mm -hmm. get to know Him. But after a while, I uh, I was so exhausted because, um, as Mariam mentioned, it's just you know practicing the Islamic rules. It's not a kind of relationship with God. Right. And um, the first time God spoke to me through one of my dreams, in that dream I was praying to the sky and suddenly a white horse came down and started speaking to me and it asked to uh, sit on his back. Uh, when I obeyed, the horse took me to a city where people coming out of a mosque, they were practicing Islamic rules, which is very famous in Iran. And at the beginning, they couldn't see me or the horse, but suddenly God revealed their real faces to me. And all of them turned to savage animals. As soon wow. as I saw their real faces, they could see my face and they could see me on top of the horse. And they attacked me. They tried to kill me and take me off from that horse. So the horse started running to save me from those people. And I remember as I held its neck, I felt its love pouring it into me with a power and purity I had never experienced in my entire life. It was the love of God that I experienced uh, through that horse. And he saved me from those people in that dream. And after that dream, um, I was so shocked because I tasted the love of that, uh, the love of God in my dream, yeah. and also God uh, revealed the real faith of Islam to me. It was after that dream that I just put aside, you know, my religious duties, and I just decided to, you know, to have a conversation, to relationship like a father and a child with my, uh, with God, just talking to him with my own language, and I started this relationship until one of my friends talked to me um, for the first time about Jesus and she gave me uh, a Bible. I was so curious because I, before that I didn't have any information about Christianity. Right. In right. Islam they teach us that Jesus is just the son of, uh, is, um, uh, is a prophet. Mm -hmm. And that's why it was, I was so curious because I heard that Jesus is the son of God for the first time. And I started reading Bible, but still I was so confused. I couldn't find out what is the truth. I just prayed, and I, I was so desperate. And I asked God, please show me the truth. If Jesus is the truth, you must guide me to the right path and save me from being misguided. I don't know what is the truth in this world. 
And after, you know, that prayer, many miracles happened in my life. I had the experience of healing. And I, I, I you know, those miracles, and I had other dreams that um, started, you know, the beginning of believing in Jesus. But my main experience with Jesus uh, was that when I was praying, I was alone at, uh, at home, I was praying to God, and suddenly I received the flames of Holy Spirit, and I began to pray in tongues and worshiping God. It was an uh, amazing experience. It was that day that I saw Jesus for a few seconds in front of me. He was in a white clothes. Beside him, was um, there was a big throne, which was covering with shining gold, and uh, jewels and at that time I felt that God removed the curtain before my eyes and I could see not only Jesus but I could see the whole truth about him and I didn't have any doubts at that time Mm -hmm. and God revealed him um, Jesus to me and um, from that day on I gave my heart to Jesus I I I repent of from all my sins and I uh, I became sure that Jesus is the only truth in this world. I've, I've talked to a number of uh, former Muslims who have come to know Jesus, and dreams often play an important role in their conversion. Uh, is that actually true? Yeah, in Iran, um, you know, it's not just me. I have a lot of dreams. God usually talks to me uh, through my dreams. I have a notebook full of my dreams that, you know, it wasn't just the first time that no. I had um, uh, the dream of that white horse. The white horse came to my dream, uh, you know, um, a few other times and uh, talked to me. And also I have other dreams that God speaks to me. And we have this experience when we were evangelizing Iranian people in Iran. Uh, we could see that other people had dreams about uh, Jesus and um even before we talked to them about Jesus, they would share with us that, you know, before that I had a dream about Jesus and we were searching to find the truth, who is Jesus. And it was very amazing that, you know, God speaking to people through their dreams. Even in Iran, the government tried to, um, you know, stop everything. People do not have access to Bible, but God has other ways to mm-hmm. talk to people. Mm-hmm. Nobody can stop God. That's why I believe, you know, Many Iranians have a lot of dreams. Interesting. If um, I may, I would uh, yes, so please uh, go ahead, Maryam. Share one story. Yeah, um, you know, for you mentioned uh, in the introduction that for years, Mark and I were distributing Bibles and evangelizing Iranian people, and now you're talking about dreams um, and how God reveals Himself um, through dreams to um, people, not just in Iran but in the whole Middle Eastern countries. Um, I remember one day, you know, I had um, a few New Testaments in my uh, purse. Um, yes. Whenever we wanted to go for shopping or just going out, we had a few New Testaments um, in case we talked to some people mm-hmm. and wanted to give them a, a Bible. And I remember I went to a bookstore once and I uh, was just going to buy some books for myself. And suddenly I mentioned a young man came into bookstore and he went to the manager who was a prejudiced Muslim and asked for a Bible and the manager became angry and he said no we don't um, sell Bible uh, in bookstores and you cannot find it anywhere um, in Iran and that young man was so desperate and I waited for the manager to go downstairs and I went to him and I um, (laughs) handed the New Testament to him but I was curious and I asked him may I ask why you were looking for a Bible 
And he said, last night I had a dream, and in my dream uh, I saw Jesus. Wow. He told me that tomorrow you should go to a bookstore and buy a Bible, and then go to a mountain, I want to speak to you. Mm-hmm. And he already had his backpack. As soon as I gave him the, that Bible, he left, and he thanked me, and he left. But we had um, stories like this, how, you know, before even we went to people and talked to them about Jesus, he had dreams about Jesus. Yes, yes. Um, and it wasn't new to them. Beautiful. Uh, the Holy Spirit goes ahead of us, uh, it, it oftentimes preparing the hearts of people we talk to. Uh, Maryam, uh, Marzia, uh, hold it there. We have to take a break and come back uh, talking with Maryam Rustenpour and uh, Marzia Amira Zadeh. They were putting their lives on the line. Islamic laws in Iran forbade them from sharing the gospel with people. It took them three years, but they covertly put the New Testament into the hands of 20,000. We're talking about how they were arrested, imprisoned, and sentenced to death. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Maryam Rustampour and Marzia Amirazadeh knew they were putting their lives on the line. We're talking about their experience in Iran, where they became believers in Jesus Christ and then began sharing the gospel. We're taking a look at how the uh, public authorities in Iran responded. How did the two of you meet? Uh, it was in 2005 that we met each other in Turkey for the first time because we both separately were interested to know more about Christianity. Um, we had separate experience with Jesus. We shared a little about it, and we both were in love with Jesus, and we wanted to know more about Christianity. And since in Iran it wasn't possible to continue learning more about Christianity, we had to travel to other countries. We went to Turkey and we started, you know, our courses together. It was theology and leadership courses. Mm-hmm. And we learned about uh, a lot about Christianity. And after that, we decided to return to uh, Iran, even though we knew that how much it's dangerous to return to the country. But we wanted to, you know, share this message with our people. That's mm-hmm. why after finishing the courses, we returned to Iran and uh, we started praying how we can uh, serve our people. And God gave us a vision that we need to disturb the Bibles in Tehran, in Iran, because people do not have access to Bible. And I was reading Bible, God speak to me, and he showed me that Iran is like a big land, that there is no seed in this land. He told me, first, you need to plant some seeds, then I will grow all these seeds by Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So we decided to distribute Bibles in Iran. We talked to uh, our pastor who was in London, and we asked him to provide a New Testament for us to distribute in Tehran. And um, we asked for thousands of New Testaments because we knew that we should cover, you know, each part of Tehran. We started from Tehran because it was the capital, and we bought a map, and we started from the north of Tehran to the south every night. We would carry about 140 uh, New Testaments in our backpack, and we would visit one area in Tehran and distribute those New Testaments. And uh, after almost three years, we could distribute 20,000 New Testaments in different parts of uh, Tehran. Wow. And beside that, we had two house churches. We had a house church for young people. We would invite them and teach them about Christianity 
And also we had a house church for uh, prostitutes. And so every day, beside all these things, every day, whenever we, w- we would go out, um, eating at restaurants, doing our chores, we had some New Testaments in our backpack. And sometimes we would talk to people about, you know, our faith, about Christianity, and we would give them a Bible as a gift. And because of all these activities, in 2009, the government arrested us. How did they become aware of you? You know, we, we were so active. We were distributing Bibles, as Marjorie mentioned, and we also had house churches, and we were so open about our okay. faith. I remember we would talk to anyone, strangers in the streets, and invite them to our house churches. And in Iran, it's, you know, it's hard to tell who is working with the government and who is not. And, uh, you know, we were not, we, we, as I mentioned, we were so open about this. Right. And people would come to our apartment for our meetings, and for our, um, you know, worship sessions, and we didn't know anything about our neighbors, uh, whether or not they were watching us or reporting about us. Mm-hmm. But when we were arrested, we were heard, uh, we, we were told by um, our first interrogator that they were watching us for a few months um, because they were, they said that they were aware of some of our activities and they saw us um, handing a Bible to someone in a restaurant. But when they, they arrested us, they didn't know anything about our mission of distributing 20,000 Bibles, oh. because if they had known, they would have executed us immediately. Wow. What is the criminal penalty for evangelizing there? Actually, the one day arrested us, they sent us with, uh, to a detention uh, for 14 days. Okay. And we were kept there. It was a horrible place. Uh, we didn't have access to food. It was a very dirty, uh, dark uh, place. Um, we had to cover ourselves with blankets full of urine. And they treated, treated us so inhumane. And um, after 14 days of being um, in that detention, they transferred us to Evan Prison with charges of apostasy, blasphemy, anti-government and promoting Christianity in Iran. And was that a death sentence? For apostasy, yeah, um, because uh, when you get, uh, when you were sentenced to apostasy based on Sharia law, yes, you have to be killed. Well, what were the conditions like in the prison? Yeah, Marvi mentioned about the detention. Um, You know, we were in different detention centers. Um, For 14 days, we were in a the detention center called Vozaro, and then we were transferred to Evin Prison. Again, in Evin Prison, there was another section called 209 for interrogations, and they usually transfer political prisoners for tortures to that section. We also had the experience of being in that section for 40 days, but most of the time we were in the public ward of Evin Prison. But I can talk about, you know, the condition in the first detention center. As Marzia mentioned briefly, it was horrible. Uh, for the first uh, few days, we didn't have anything to eat or drink. We had to sleep on freezing cold floor. There was no carpet, and we could only use some wet blankets, the strongest smelling of urine. Mm. Um, we couldn't even use, brush our teeth. We couldn't um, take a shower. We couldn't. We had we had no access to anything. I can say in that detention center. There were other women in that um, detention center. They were mostly prostitutes, addicted, homeless girls. They were not even, you know, allowed to transfer us to that um, detention center, but they wanted to put pressure on us. Usually they won't transfer political prisoners to that uh, detention center. But, you know, physically we were under so much pressure in that um, place for the first few days. I remember we would just pray and ask God for our release because we didn't want to be in that place. Right. 
But after a few days, we could see God's miracles and how he was um, using us to send his message to other women in that detention who really needed to hear the message of salvation. Um, and we, we became encouraged and we realized that he had a purpose for sending us to that dark place. Uh, we had the opportunity of talking to them about Jesus and praying for them, listening to their very sad stories. Um, most of those women were victims of the Iranian government and Islamic rules. That's why we believe that we had absolutely, you know, great opportunities. Um, for the first 14 days, we could talk to about 70 to 80 women in that detention and um, share the message of love and forgiveness with them. How long were you, you were in 14 days in the detention center, how long were you in uh, Evans prison? In total, we were in prison for 259 days. 259 days, okay. And um, what, I mean, what was it like in the prison? Uh, you know, Evan Prison is famous for arresting, raping, torturing, and executing of many innocent people. It's it's a notorious prison, in uh, one of the notorious prisons in the world. And um, we saw many injustices in that prison. As Mariam shared about detention, the condition in Evan Prison also was awful. It was different, but it was horrible. Because uh, we were, for the first few months, we were in a uh, public uh, ward and um, we were with other prisoners uh, like murderers, you know, um, killers, um, uh, fraudulent and other prisoners, all political prisoners were together. And there, there was not, there, there wasn't any separate, you know, sections for prisoners. And um, the, the condition of food was awful. We couldn't eat for nine months and uh, it was very difficult to eat um, the food in prison. Wow. And we didn't have access to medical, um, especially because of our faith. Um, I remember um, the first question when we were sick and we were transferred to a small clinic in prison, which was very dirty. And the first question the doctors would ask was that, what is your charge? And as soon as they would hear that we were Christians, they would refuse to give us medication. Mm-hmm. Mariam and I, compared to other prisoners, we were in another prison, in inside prison, because of our faith. Um, there, were, there was another facility in prison, which, uh, which called um, Cultural Center. There were some classes there that prisoners could attend in those classes, very small uh, library with, you know, only Islamic books. But uh, as soon as they heard that we were Christians, I remember the day I entered, the first day that I entered that facility, uh, the manager asked me, what is um, your charge? What is uh, why you are here? And I told her that um, my charge is, you know, I'm here because of my faith. I arrested because of my Christian faith. And as as soon as she heard, heard, heard that, she told me, you should get out of here. You are dirty. You have to be executed immediately who let you in in this facility you are brainwashing uh, our young people and i don't allow you to attend in this in this facility oh. and again you know most of the time we were locked in ourselves in a public ward and we couldn't attend in uh, we couldn't use anything any other facilities in prison there there were only three um you know restroom uh, a three bathroom and um for more than hundreds of prisoners and um, but you know there were also some prisoners who were prejudiced Muslims for months. They called us dirty Christians because of our faith. 
but we try to show who Jesus is, what his teachings are by our behavior. Mm-hmm. We try to respect them. Uh, you know, they were insulting us, but we try to respect them, love them, pray for them. And after a while, because of, you know, our prayers, they could see miracles through our prayers. I had dreams about some of the prisoners and they could see, you know, the miracles that Jesus was doing among prisoners. And as, as a result of that, you know, um, some of the prisoners came to us and they apologized because of their behavior. And also some guards came to us at the end and they apologized because of uh, their behavior. Wow. But the horrible experience, you know, that we had in Evin prison was execution of other prisoners. Um, we both experienced uh, when we were in prison, they executed some of the prisoners, which was horrible. We never experienced such a thing. And they also executed our best friend, Shirin Alamuli. She was a Kurdish girl. Uh, she was 28 years old, and she was a political prisoner. And they executed her after a few months that we got released. That was the horrible experience that we had about um Evin Prison. Uh-huh. And as Mariam shared, there is another building in um, Evin Prison, which called 209, and they transferred us in that building uh, for 40 days. And there are many solitary cells in that uh, building, and they kept prisoners, and they uh, keep interrogating them. And for 40 days, we were separated, and we had long hours of interrogation by two interrogators. And most of the time, they they would put pressure on us to deny our faith in Jesus. They threatened our lives. Uh, they threatened the lives of our family members. And they told us that if you want to keep, to keep your faith, if you do not deny your faith in Jesus, you would face uh, execution by hanging. Mm. And it was like mental torture for us. Every day we would hear the voice of other prisoners who were beating and torturing in other cells. And we were under so much pressure in that prison. Oh, hold it there, please. Miriam Rustenpour and Marzia Amirazadeh are my guests. They, in 2009, were caught, arrested, and sentenced to death for sharing the gospel with their fellow countrymen in Iran. We'll be right back. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Marzia Amirazadeh and Maryam Rustenpour are the authors of Captive in Iran. It's their testimony story of being, uh, in 2009, caught, arrested, sentenced to death. They are, we're talking about their prison experience right now. You know, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will give you words to say when you're thrown in prison for your faith. Did you uh, have a special uh, sense of anointing? Did you feel that... uh, the Holy Spirit was with you, with your words there in prison? You know, um, actually, um, yes. Uh, for most uh, of the time that we were in prison, we always tell people that uh, without the presence of Holy Spirit, we couldn't stand even one day in prison. Uh, from the first day, I can say uh, we could experience um, Holy Spirit and, and God's presence with us. Um, that was really encouraging for us. I remember the first day uh, we were arrested. We were so scared. And, you know, we are human beings and we have our weaknesses. Um, and this was the first time we had such experience, you know, people um, coming to our apartment um, and experiencing all those harsh behaviors from yeah. our interrogators, from the, the guards who took us to that detention center. And I remember the first day when they transferred us to that um, dark basement 
and they threatened us to physical torture. Uh, we didn't even know how to pray in Farsi because when you're scared and when you're in shock, you don't even know how to pray and how to ask God to help you. And I remember we just um, started pr- praying in tongues and asked the Holy Spirit to give us the strength we needed to stand those difficult um, moments. And I remember after half an hour praying and singing, um, we could see the power of Holy Spirit and we could see that God was strengthening us and giving us power. And this um, this happened for nine months, you know, for every day we needed the presence of God. Every, every day we needed the power of Holy Spirit to strengthen us, mm-hmm. um, to, you know, to just to be able to stand those difficult moments um, during the interrogations. Um, just everyday life in prison uh, was horrible, and without God's presence, we couldn't do it. Yeah. And I remember one day uh, when we were in 209 section, um, you know, we were we were separated. They put me in another cell with other another political prisoner and Marzi with um, other political prisoners. And I remember one day, um, you know, in my cell, uh, it was a solitary confinement. It was I was with another political prisoner, I I felt that I couldn't breathe and I couldn't feel the presence of God. It was just for one day um, in those in that cell, I couldn't feel the presence of God. And mm. I can say that was the the, the scariest um, experience I had in prison. Um, I couldn't hear his voice. I couldn't hear his. Uh, I couldn't feel his presence. And I remember I just lay down on the ground and um, I said, you know, it, this is this is so hard. Just not hearing your voice and not feeling your presence. And I remember I just felt that I needed to uh, start singing in tongues and asking Holy Spirit to to help me. And I remember I just um, sang um, songs and I started uh, worshiping God um, in tongues and for like 15 to 30 minutes. And suddenly I felt strong presence of God all over me. And uh, it was so amazing. I cannot even describe it by words how amazing was the presence of God. And something that God taught me that day was that, you know, even those moments that we don't feel the presence of God for whatever reason, He is with us. And He is uh, surrounding us by His presence and by His power. I remember, uh, I think we interviewed somebody way back when this happened, and I know that there were appeals for people to uh, pray for you and to write. Were you able to get any uh, mail while you were in prison? No, unfortunately not. We, When we were in prison, we heard from our prison authorities that we were receiving about um, um, 50 letters every day, <laughs> but unfortunately they didn't give us even one of those letters to read, they told us that we are not going to give you those letters to encourage you in your faith. But it was very powerful, you know, when we heard that, it was so encouraging. As a result of, you know, such a, such support, um, at least I can say they um, they stopped, um, you know, uh, torture us physically. They didn't yeah. uh, torture us physically because they, they, they knew that the word are watching them and people are aware of our case and many people were advocating us. Uh, many Christian or- organizations have started advocating for us, but we are very glad that even though they didn't give us those letters to read, we heard that they forced some guards to open those letters to see, to check what people had written to us. And it was very interesting that many people have written uh, the verses of Bible. And by reading those verses, 
uh, some of them became encouraged to know about Christianity. They became curious, and <laughs> they came to us, and they asked us, for, for instance, once one of them asked us, what does it mean Jesus is a is shepherd? And we were surprised at how they know that, and they told us, and we realized, even though we couldn't read those letters, but God used those letters to send his message to the guards, to the <laughs> judges, and other Beautiful. people in prison. Beautiful. Why did they release you? What was the, was there outside pressure put on them? The first reason that we are free today, we are alive today, we give all the glory to God because it was His power, because of His grace that we are free and alive today. He, gave, he was the one that gave us the victory. But the second reason, uh, we believe that because of the Christian support, because as I mentioned, many Christians were advocating for us and, um, you know, bringing awareness about our case. And the Iranian government also was under so much pressure, international pressure from, uh, you know, the United Nations, Amnesty International, some people from the State Department in, uh, in the United States. And also Pope from Vatican sent a letter to the government and huh. asked for our release. And because of all these pressures, because of the politics, they had to release us. Wow. Unlike their desire, because of the politics, they wanted to show that there is, you know, we are not going to kill people because of their faith, which is right. a lie. And if it wasn't because of this support, we were definitely were executed. Yeah, and the, I can say they had to release us. Well, that's, I'm obviously delighted they did. And and what are you doing now? So we moved to the United States in 2011 because we couldn't stay in Iran. Mm -hmm. um, before they released us, they um, threatened us and they told us that we couldn't live um, in Iran as Christians anymore. Um, and we were also threatened in our last court. That's why we decided to leave Iran because we knew that we couldn't. Um, live there as Christian or have any any Christian activities. That's why we left in 2010, and um, then we moved to the U.S. Uh, through UN in 2011. And since we moved here, we started to share these stories. We started to share what the Lord has done in our life, especially um, during the nine months we were in prison. Um, and also, we decided to share some of the stories we experienced, some of those injustices we experienced in prison with the world, um, because we felt that we, are, we were responsible. You know, we knew that God uh, sent us to that dark place for right. a reason. Right. Um, so we, we started to share this um, wherever we were, uh, in, in churches, conferences, universities in the U.S. and also in other countries. Uh, we try to bring awareness by sharing our story and the stories of other people who experience the same injustices. Um, it's uh, because it's not just um, religious minorities who are under persecution in Iran. Iran today is like a big jail for millions of Iranians who are experiencing persecution in different ways by this um, cruel government. That's why we decided to bring awareness. We uh, published our book in 2013, um, Captive in Iran, um, just to share part of uh, the injustices we experienced. And then we started talking about um, these experiences. At the same time, we decided to continue our education. Uh, just in December, we graduated um, with Master of International Affairs. Okay. And uh, we, we tried to uh, be advocate for uh, religious minorities and also for uh, those who are experiencing human rights violations in Iran. Okay, beautiful. Will you be doing any more writing? 
We hope um, we hope that we can um, write more about um, you know injustices that are going on in Iran, especially uh, to women, because women in Iran are the group uh, who are under so much pressure because of the Islamic rules. And that's why we hope that one day we can share um, more stories we experience in prison. And also, it's not just um, you know stories of women during those nine months. Every day we hear about the injustices that are going on in Iran, and we hope we can be more um, help to women, and I mean in general to people in Iran, but mostly to women in Iran. Wow. Well, I want to thank you uh, for being with me today and sharing that story, uh, Maryam and uh, Marzia. Uh, I wish you continued uh, success as you can work out uh, you know, your own salvation in fear and trembling, and um, I hope we hear more from you in the future. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for having us. The book is called Captive in Iran, Maryam Rustampour and Marzia Amirazadeh. Uh, it's available. We'll have it, of course, in the online bookstore. It's a remarkable true story of hope. It's a story of spiritual triumph, and it takes place in some of the darkest areas on earth. And Iran's Evan Prison is one of those very dark places uh, you know, this is what's terrible. Iran is actually a signatory to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, also to the International Covenant on Human Rights, and both those documents affirm that religious freedom is a key component of human rights. In fact, Iran's constitution verifies that Christians are a protected religious minority. But it's one thing to have it on paper. It's another thing to have it in practice. And you just heard from two women who were imprisoned for uh, eight, nine months because they were distributing Bibles. Uh, A year ago, roughly a year ago, uh, International Christian Concern requested that the United States Treasury Department uh, issue what are called global uh, Magnitsky sanctions against uh, Iran's Evan prison because of its human rights abuse record. And we'll have available in the Crest of Guest archives, in fact, uh, a case file summary of the documentary evidence that uh, International Christian Concerns submitted to the U.S. Treasury Department. So that'll be available for you again in the uh, Cresta Guest Archives. Now, I know most of us don't ever expect like this would happen in the United States, and I don't think think we'll see that here in the U.S. But what I do know, what I do know is that Christendom is over. And we've entered a new apostolic era. In other words, all the social and moral capital that uh, had built up over centuries and centuries of Christian influence, that has been largely squandered. And we're going to be forced to remake our case about the lordship of Christ. Um, We are almost starting from scratch. That's why I call it a new apostolic era. And think about it this way. There's going to be great pressure on us as we live out our faith and when we try to share our faith, because we're going to be accused of myth-making in an age of science. We're going to be accused of sexual repression in this age of erotic emancipation. We're going to be accused of holding to rigid hierarchies in this egalitarian society. We're going to be accused of having monarchical tendencies— in this democratic age, we're going to be um, accused, 
of um, talking about uh, corporate personality uh, in an age of stark individualism. So we are a spiritual and cognitive minority. We see the world very differently than those who are the movers and shakers in all of the major sectors of American modern life. 